From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today I'm joined by Paul Coletta, CEO of the plant-based meal delivery company, Urban Remedy. Paul, welcome to Lead with We. Thanks, Simon. Really appreciate the opportunity. So good to see you, Paul. And you know, I'm always mindful of the journey that entrepreneurs take before they have these successful companies. And I know that you're at Walt Disney and Hewlett Packard. How on earth did you end up, or why did you end up in the food business? Well, um, I guess I'd start with the fact that food's always been sort of in my family's DNA. Um, my grandfather and my great-grandfather immigrated to the U.S. in 1921, and they started a chain of restaurants in the South, which is um, still in business today, and next year will celebrate its, its 100th year. Um, and, uh, and my brothers and sisters are also in the food business, so uh, it, I like to say it skipped a generation. Uh, our father is a physicist and wanted us to pursue academics, but uh, I think, you know, spending the time we did as kids around the food business, it really sort of, it, it kind of seeped into to who we are. Um, but I also, I think I also just, I've always loved the rich, diverse culture of food. It, it celebrates the diversity of cultures and and it connects people. Everybody eats. It's it's common ground. So I guess I I I love it. It's it's something I'm passionate about. You know what I love about that is that, you know, a family gets together and you're all in the food business and you're like, for once, let's not talk about work. And then you look down at the table at your food and it's on again. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think that's funny. And then you kind of you sort of cut your teeth in a lot of companies that everybody knows, Jumba Juice, Pinkberry, Pom Wonderful. Give us a sense of some of the things you took away from that that kind of inspired you to say, hey, I want to launch something on my own. Well, um, I think every one of those uh, experiences in the food industry that I've had in some way, shape or form is kind of shaped um, how I think um, I've led this company. Um, to be clear, I'm not the founder of Urban Remedy. That was uh, Nika Pasquale. Uh, she started the company about nine years ago. And uh, I came in and have been running the company uh, for about seven years. So I'm not a founder. I am the CEO. Um, but those, those experiences um, really taught me a lot about uh, uh, nutrition, which is something I'm very passionate about. Um, they taught me a lot about um, storytelling, uh, how to connect with consumers around stories. And um, it taught me a lot of, um, uh, about omni-channel, the, 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 the business model that Urban Remedy is operating under today. So all, all of those companies you mentioned were either in the physical brick and mortar retail space or in the e-commerce space or in the CPG space. Urban Remedy is in all three. Uh, and so I think it, it really prepared me to, um, to help us engineer an omni-channel model, which is in, in some ways kind of more than the sum of its parts. There's a lot of synergy between those three channels in what we do. I, yeah, and I want to come back to that because I could not agree more. The sum being greater than the parts 
is fundamental to not only launching a brand, but ensuring the brand becomes a movement, but also unlocking greater sort of consumer engagement and ROI for the business. So I want to dig into that a little bit more, but I, I want to sort of step back one second and say, as CEO, you've really kind of <clears throat> leveraged Urban Remedy to take on big food. And I think a lot of people understand intuitively what big food means and the negative connotations. And it's typically, you know, industrial farming or what, what are those chemicals in the products that aren't good for our health and so on. But there's also a huge larger consequence for our future and just, you know, the planet on which we depend. And for those who aren't aware, give us a sense of why this is so important to retool the food system. Yeah, I mean, when I talk about big food, and I've said I think big food is a big problem, um, I'm not talking about any one food company in particular. I'm talking about our over-industrialized food system, which we believe is unsustainable for human health and the planet. Um, and um, I, I, it might be more accurate to say that big food has a big problem than is a big problem. And I think Urban Remedy and companies like ours that are trying to reimagine the food system um, are part of the solution. And uh, or at least I hope we are. You know, we're, it's it's early uh, for us. I wouldn't I wouldn't tell you that I think we've we've arrived or we've figured it out. Um, but it, it, is, it is kind of how we approach thing with, things with this core belief uh, that um, the food system is unsustainable. I mean, the rise of diabetes, heart disease, global warming, all of these things are highly attributed to our modern food system. I completely agree. And it's interesting. It's sort of we're shifting away from sort of the remedial approach, which is let's fix the problem after it's occurred to the preventative approach where food is medicine and so on. Yes. And the reason I'm so excited to talk to you today is because even though the meal subscription space is getting so you know competitive, what you do is something completely different. And this comes back to the omnichannel marketing, but also you know your approach, your go-to-market plan. You actually do something where the degree of difficulty is much higher than for other companies. You're bringing high-quality, perishable food to market with a very quick turnaround time. And so you've had to do something at point of sale with a wholesale or retail, you know, that is very different. You've had to prove out the model yourself and take all the risk. Can you explain what that system looks like and, and some of the challenges in it? Yeah, the, the way I would sum up what you just said is we are trying to scale ultra-fresh, clean food. So we're trying to crack the code on basically short shelf life food at scale. Um, and nobody's really done that. And I would tell you, we haven't yet done that. I mean, we're still working hard at it. I think we've had a lot of success and I think we'll get there. Um, but we're trying to crack the code on ultra fresh, clean food at scale. And what makes that really challenging is this idea of waste of food that is past its expiration and has to be thrown out. That is why I think our current food system is so processed. I think it has been all about shelf life, which if you really understand shelf life is about stripping nutrient density from a food so that it optimizes for shelf life and ultimately profit at the expense of human health and the environment. So we're trying to flip that on its head and say, is there a model that can both be better for human health and the planet and 
ultimately be profitable. At, at the end of the day, this has to be profitable. I mean, without that sort of margin, there is no mission. You can't be out there trying to change the world. So you must have got some pushback. Did it, as you spoke to your peers in the industry, right. <laughs> you've, you've come on board to Urban Remedy, your CEO, they're like, you're crazy because it's, it's counterintuitive. It goes against every efficiency that the existing industry's built, right? Um, pushback is an understatement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start there. Hey, did you talk to Paul? He's, he's absolutely burko. He's yeah, crazy. He's certifiable. Hell? Um, look, I mean, there, I'll be honest, there are days I wake up and I go, what the hell are we doing here? You know, this is, this is really hard. Um, but, uh, I think the payoff is so big. Um, it's so big for, um, um, you know, our customers. It's, I think it's potentially big for our investors. So, I mean, we've stayed at it and, um, you know, have this mantra internally, progress not perfect um, and as long as we are moving in the right direction even though it doesn't feel like we are um, I feel like you know we have permission to continue to go and and try to try to realize this this uh, food is healing you know food is healing is not a tagline it's our mission that's our mission this idea that food is healing and um, I think we've proven a lot of progress. Um, we have a long way to go. Um, and we have the team to get it done. We have the partners to get it done. And I think we ultimately will. But uh, we're not there yet. And, you know, it's easy to walk past words like that and go, oh, that that's, sounds great. It's aspirational. I like that there's a company out there. But your point is well taken, which is this is an active, living, breathing, dynamic commitment of the company to heal through food. So could you unpack for a second what that means in terms of your supply chain, what that means in terms of how you rally your internal culture, what that means in terms of how you go to market? Help people understand how a commitment like that fuels the business. Well, I love this is what I love about, you know, talking to you, Simon. Uh, you bring up culture in this conversation. And I would want to start there um, and tell you that any success we've had to date has been about our culture and our people. Um, and that is the foundation from which we are trying to grow and reach more consumers. So I would, um, if I could start there for a minute, um, and then I can talk about supply chain and other things, but um, you, you got me wound up with culture and people. So I would, I would describe our culture at Urban Remedy as a people-first culture. And I think it's important to define culture. I, um, I ask this as an interview question when a prospective candidate brings up the issue of culture. And I'll always say, could you define for me culture? And I'm amazed at how many people have never even thought about that question or stumble on it. And, and so here's my definition, and then we can talk about it as our foundation. I think of it as a group of people with a shared belief system, i.e. values, in pursuit of a common goal, i.e. mission. That's, that's culture in my mind. Um, and um, so this belief system, you know, we have a set of values, um, which we can talk about, but this belief system is this idea around uh, food, food is healing. It's also our mission, right? It's what we're trying to accomplish. And, um, you know, the people at Urban Remedy uh, have been probably the thing, the people in culture are the thing that I think we as a team are most proud of. 
Uh, it's always been about people. Um, and uh, we really think of ourselves as a work family. Um, but that, that has been very much the foundation of how we have grown. Uh, and um, it, it's really, it really is much of, of, of our success to date. Uh, even though maybe the consumer can't see it, I think they can feel it in the products they buy. They can feel it in the commitments that we follow through on. I think they can feel the culture of Urban Remedy. This this group of uh, what I call patriots, not mercenaries, that care as much about the outcome as the income. We We have built a culture of patriots. You know, you see the fashion industry struggle with tier one, tier two, tier three, or tier four suppliers who may have bad labor practices and, or whatever else it might be. And yet you've got a higher degree of difficulty because you're dealing with perishable food. So in that hub and spoke model, how do you protect quality, not just from an operational efficiency point of view, but so you deliver on your promise? It's, it's really hard. And again, I would tell you, um, I think we've done a good job but I don't think we're there yet um, in terms of enabling the reach nationally that we need uh, while also preserving the quality of our food. Um, you know, it comes down to, uh, uh, I think, three things. It comes down to partnerships, great partnerships with not only our uh, folks like Whole Foods, who is one of our distribution partners, but our logistics partner, Reef, it comes down to technology, uh, specifically real-time inventory management and demand forecasting. I think technology is a critical component of how we crack the code of ultra-fresh food at scale. Um, and it comes down to people. I'm gonna keep bringing it back to people. It comes down to people that have the right experience, but also have an open mind and are creative and can, because we're not uh, following any uh, playbook here. This is, uh, this is, you know, we are sort of iterating as we go. We're launching, learning, in some cases failing, in some cases succeeding. It's been the, uh, I, I have a picture in my office that anybody that knows me, it's been hanging for about 15 years and it's two lines. Uh, one is a straight line to the right, and it says success the way people think it is. And the other is a squiggly line, and it says this is the way it really is. And in both cases, the line's moving in the right direction, up and to the right. But on the right, it's like at any moment, you can zoom into what you're doing and going, oh my God, like, what are we, are we headed in the right direction? But when you pull out and you look at what this business has done over a year, two years, the last seven years, we are definitely making progress. It's that squiggly line that um, I remind the team often of. It's like, we're right here and it doesn't feel like it, but pull back and look at where we've come from and what we have accomplished together. And I think that gets that that helps me sort of bring the team along, that this is progress. This is progress. You know, it is. It, it, it is a powerful demonstration of progress. And we should all go into investor meetings or client meetings and just show squiggly lines and say, here's our plan and just see what happens. That doesn't always work on the investor meetings, but it, but it definitely helps the employees, I think, understand that, that we're moving, we're making progress.
And, you know, to that point, I keep hearing this expression in business over the last year or two about double click. Let's double click on that and push in on something. But to your point, let's zoom out. Let's zoom out and keep the bigger perspective in mind. Yeah. Now, let's talk about hospitals because this is one of the powerful value propositions of a big idea like food is healing. It's yeah. not just confined to the, you know, the consumer who just wants dinner that night or whatever it might be. It's really the role of food as medicine in your life. So help us understand what you're doing there. So, I mean, for any of us that's ever been to a hospital, I think we, we might agree it's some of the worst food you can find. And it just makes no sense that somebody enters into a hospital or a doctor's office and is told that, you know, um, that um, they need to make changes in their lifestyle. And then they walk out and they're presented with candy bars and sodas uh, as, a, as an offering. Um, that makes no sense. Um, and so we decided about uh, two or three years ago, just as a, again, launch and learn, let's throw an automated kiosk. These are kiosks that use RFID. Uh, you come and you put your credit card in, you open it. You take anything out, close the refrigerator, and it scans for the missing item, which it charges you. That was the original way we entered into hospitals. And we immediately got a positive reaction, not just in terms of sales, but we had patients and, uh, uh, interestingly enough, doctors and nurses going, yes, please, and we want more. Since then, we've scaled into their cafeterias and have taken over dedicated sections of the cafeterias in California. Uh, Our number one kiosk anywhere nationally is at UCSF, uh, one of our premier hospitals here in the Bay Area. And um, we're doing an amazing volume through that store. And that's just confirmation, I think, for us that there is a great need there. Um, and we have a strong point of difference. So, and that's always what we're looking for, right? We're looking for the need and we're looking for the unique, you know, the unique thing we do better than anywhere else. That intersection is where we like to go. And I think healthcare has that intersection. It is the intersection between a great need and a strong point of difference. And so um, we are thinking, we're stepping back right now and thinking about how to make that a bigger sort of dedicated focus. Uh, it's huge white space. Huge. It's huge white space. Massive. I mean, the corporate need out there, let alone hospitals. And also, it's not bad advertising. It's kind of like, you know, the the food that doctors and nurses choose. But I, I think it's um, really powerful what you're saying about this intersection between you know, opportunity or, or need and your unique value proposition. Because a lot of people might look at what you're doing and say, high risk. And I don't know if I have that risk tolerance. But what if you recast that risk as an expression of the opportunity you uniquely have? Bingo. Because you're taking that risk. It is high risk, but it's also higher opportunity. It's a high risk, high reward uh, opportunity. And I think it's important going in, whether you're an investor, an employee, a partner, to understand it is high risk, high reward. Because if together we can crack the code on ultra fresh food at scale, everybody wins. With the consumer being first, they win. They win. I have a a couple of questions about that that I think are really exciting. One is the role of technology. You know, if you you listen and, and you're watching you, Paul, today, you go, wow, 
that's incredible that it's even possible. And you mentioned the RFID tags and the, the kiosks mm -hmm. and so on. But just from a technology point of view, is this a very complicated, high-tech thing that's prohibited to anybody else? Or is it like, how do you use technology to make this possible in, in, a, in ways that didn't seem like it was possible before? Yeah, I think we're just scratching the surface. I mean, the first was getting, and this we did last year, uh, was getting an ERP system installed. Now, this is, this is back-end. This is not front-end. This is not consumer-facing technology. But because we're dealing with short-shelf-life food, we need real-time inventory management, and we need really good demand forecasting systems, and we need really good cost accounting systems. And that's where the priority was placed early on in technology, was the back-end systems that would enable us to really have the dashboard needed to, um, to scale this business. That got done last year. I can't believe we came as far as we did without that. But right. That got done at, at great cost and, and great investment to the company. And that's already starting to bear fruit. We, that's showing up in things like a reduced, uh, better in stock positions and reduced waste, which is purge in the channel. Um, I think going forward, I'm thinking more about consumer facing technology that we need to bring to bear in order to be, you know, to fully realize this food is healing mission. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of ideas there. Um, it's going to require a lot of capital. This is where I press um, in and go, come on, divulge it all. No, uh, it does. It takes capital, right? You've got to invest in your future and our future. Well, I mean, I'll tell you one. I have a little dream, okay? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just riffing here with you because I, I obviously haven't thought this all the way through. But when I think about the three need states that we're trying to enable for our consumer, uh, she wants three things. She wants ultra fresh, clean and convenient. And I'm going to get to the technology as it relates to the third. But let me define them really quick. Ultra fresh is nutrient dense food whole food as close to nature as possible. Clean is free of herbicides, pesticides, and GMOs. And all of our products, not just some, are clean by that definition. Convenience is the one that I think is evolving the quickest in this age of Amazon, and especially post-pandemic, right? Consumers want an easier way to get the products they want, in this case food, where they work where they play and where they live. I have always wanted a, uh, to, to expand our, we have always wanted to expand our uh, offering into an automated system um, that would allow for dynamic pricing. So, so one of the challenges in this world, as we've talked about, is waste. What if there was technology and an algorithm that actually uh, saw the expiration of a given product and dynamically priced it wow. to ensure that not only it sold and we didn't throw it away at risk to the planet because that's, a, that's not good for anyone and at risk to the PL, that's certainly not good for us, um, but also enabled affordability in the same way that Hotels like uh, Hotel Tonight 
or airlines have dynamic pricing. Why isn't there dynamic pricing for fresh food? I have visions um, of your customers waiting three hours left, four, two hours left, boom. price goes down, grab it, you know. Boom, <laughs> let's get it. Like, um, but you know, look, this is, this is, I'm sure somebody's gonna figure this out in the future, but this has been a dream of ours for a long time is an automated self-service piece of technology that allows for dynamic pricing of perishable prepared food. And I've not seen it, I've never seen anyone do it. Maybe it's out there and I'm just not aware of it. I do believe the technology exists and it take, will take somebody with the vision and the resources to put it together in a solution that's good for the consumer from an affordability standpoint. It's good for the PL, it's good for the planet because it eliminates or reduces waste. You're touching on a really important topic, which is for a lot of people, the type of food, the quality, the health management, the well-being that you're enabling through Urban Remedy is just price prohibitive. Not, not because of you, but just more broadly, anyone. Like, help us understand how we solve for it because there's food deserts. It's disproportionate yeah. to communities of color. It is. Um, I don't think we're doing enough. And by we, I mean our industry, right? Organic food today in the U.S. is about a $60 billion business. It's been growing at about 15% CAGR every year. Um, unfortunately, most of that is processed organic food. It's not fresh organic food. You look at the top 5, 10 players, it's heavily processed organic food. But it's organic, and, and in my mind, that's, that's a better solution for the health of the planet and the body. But we have, and it has moved largely to mass market. The top players in organic food today are Costco, Walmart, uh, and uh, Kroger. Kroger. Right? Is Kro yeah, Kroger, it has yeah. moved mass market. That's been a huge shift in the last five or 10 years. But it's still not what I would call accessible to everyone. It is still not accessible to every, everyone. And I think that's a shame. I think clean, ultra fresh food should be accessible to everybody at a, in every income. Um, How do we do it? What are the barriers? Uh, one of the barriers is scale. I think the bigger the industry becomes, the more efficient the supply chain will become, more capacity, more efficiency. I think that will allow us over time to bring the price down. In the same way an electric car that I bought seven years ago was probably, I could probably get the same car with twice the capability for about half the price that I paid 10 years ago. Um, I think early adopters or people that can't afford it are jumping in voting with their dollars and then over time, that creates efficiency and, and it creates demand, which then drives efficiency in a supply chain that's seeking to meet that demand. So I think some of it is just pure scale. I think a lot of it is pure scale. I think the second thing are companies like ours that see the problem and are trying to solve for it. Um, in one of the ways we're trying to solve for it is, you remember I talked about waste? So um, let's just take a product like uh, one of our cold pressed juices. Uh, when we make that juice, we are using high quality whole fruits and vegetables 
And the byproduct of that is pulp. This clean, organic, nutrient-dense, high-fiber pulp. Um, it has always been a, a dream of ours and a challenge to take that pulp and turn it, upcycle it to food. And as it would normally be thrown away, and we don't throw it away, we, we, uh, we give it to uh, hog and cattle farmers to right. use in their food. So we're trying to do the best we can with it. But I think the ultimate would be to upcycle that food into products that were half or a third the price of products that weren't upcycled. Um, and so we've begun to do that. We have three or four products we have uh, uh, that have been a result. Our, our founder, Nika Pasquale, has just done a brilliant job of using those ingredients uh, and upcycling them like our upbeat burger. It's basically beet pulp that we've upcycled. We call it our upbeat burger. And we need to figure out how to get those into uh, some of the more accessible, lower priced channels. And that's what we're doing. We just started a partnership with Safeway. Um, we kind of started our distribution at the higher end of the grocery uh, world with, with our primary partner, Whole Foods. Uh, but now we're, 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 um, we're innovating now that we have some scale and we're starting to work to bring this food down into a more accessible price point. And one of the ways I think we can do it is through upcycling. Um, another, as I said, is scale. The more scale we have, the lower we can get our cost of goods, the lower we can drive our ingredient prices, uh, and the more we can bring prices down to be, you know, something for everybody. What I love about the way that Urban Remedy is going to market is that you're kind of, you have that generosity or expansiveness of intent where you're like, oh, we want to prove to the big food system that an alternative is possible. You're the pilot for a programmatic solution that you want everyone to embrace. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah, definitely. I think if we're successful, um, it, will, it will influence the industry. That's back to me saying, I don't think it's just big food is a big problem. I think big food has a big problem. And companies like Urban Remedy, and there are so many others out there that I think are just doing a great job. And if we succeed, we will catch the attention of these bigger food companies. And they don't need to lose 10 points of market share. They just need to lose one to go, oh, okay. So this is where the consumer's headed. And that's why you see so many big food companies buying these small food companies, because I think more and more big food companies are shifting R&D to M&A, right? There's a shift from R&D to M&A because oftentimes they are the victim of their own momentum, right? They can't kind of, they're too big. It's like turning a battleship in the Mississippi. And so they look to these smaller, nimbler food companies that are, um, you know, at this point, maybe serving, super serving a smaller addressable audience. But that's like the first pen in a bowling alley. You knock that one down and I think others follow. And I think big food companies have seen that and you're seeing a lot of these, these mergers and acquisitions, I think, because of that. They're losing share. They see that they're losing it to smaller food companies that, in quite honestly, are more hyper-focused on these need states. And I think that will, that will only continue and accelerate.
it's hard as a social entrepreneur, as a purposeful business leader, founder, whatever, to get a company off the ground. But the more momentum you build, the more leverage you have, the more the market forces reinforce and propel what you're doing, the better you're satisfying those consumer need states. And so as tough as it is at the beginning, like you got to hold fast and just keep going because you're unlocking so much momentum that will come later on. Would you say that's fair? Spot on. Our success will, you know, go well beyond what Urban Remedy would realize in its own success. I think our success, you know, I, I define leadership as the ability to influence change, needed change. That's my definition of leadership. And I think of that sort of personally as a leader, but I also think of it for Urban Remedy as a leader. I think we are a leader in the ultra fresh, clean and convenient food movement. And our success should influence needed change in the industry. That's this idea of reimagining. It's not just Urban Remedy. And that's why, I mean, anybody that comes to me in this industry and is starting out, uh, even some that you might think are directly competitive, I think we've always had this like, hey, let us help you. Let us help you with the right supplier for packaging. Let us help you with the right supplier, you know, the right farmers. Because it, there's, room for, there's room for all of us. And if we are really serious about changing the food system, that has to go beyond our own success. That has to, that has to translate to the success of the food industry at large. And so anybody that's out there struggling uh, uh, to try to do the same thing. I, my invitation to you is, is, you know, let's talk. Let's talk about how we do it together. And anybody out there that's already done it, like, help. Right, right. <laughs> Come my way. <laughs> you know, it's so powerful what you shared, that this whole, this whole idea that lead with your outcomes and the income will follow. It will. Really look at what, what you're trying to achieve. Paul, thank you so much for these insights. You know, it's so powerful because it's so practical. And I look forward to following the success of Urban Remedy and the transformation of the industry as a whole. So thank you. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media. And you can always find more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead with We on Apple, Google or Spotify. And do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm excited to share that my new book, Lead with We, is now available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. So check it out. See you on the next episode. And until then, let's all lead with we.